Hello, and welcome to Everything Remade, a podcast that I hope is about growth as much as it is about music. I'm Sean Decker, and I'd like you to hear something. You're hearing Needless Anxious by Fox Mulder, featuring my friend M. Cuthbert on vocals. Comer Regalia was lucky enough to tour with Fox Mulder two times, and now I actually play in a band with them called Notion of Distance. to amaze me when I think about this hard uh, or really at all, but I actually was born just about a, a half an hour walk from where I live now uh, in like the west, west end of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't gone super far over the years. Uh, so born and raised here. I am the, I'm a middle child. I have a, an older brother and a younger sister and I, uh, I had kind of like a slightly complicated upbringing. I had uh, very young parents that kind of got married right out of high school. Um, like, yeah, so I don't know, like my mom is 20 years older than me, you know, like it's, uh, and like me and my brother are only like a year and a half apart. So kind of a, a hectic upbringing, kind of grew up originally like living in a giant communal household with my grandmother and an aunt and an uncle and my dad and various things. And then eventually we moved to where my mom still lives now. And, uh, what used to be like an industrial, like not super nice part of Toronto, but as all things go, uh, 20 some odd years later, it's becoming hipper and cooler. But I grew up, I always jokingly say on the wrong side of the train tracks because there are literally train tracks across the street from my, my house and uh yeah just kind of uh very chaotic you know three kids uh single mom most of my life uh struggling to just try and kind of get by pretty pretty broke but uh yeah that's a that's a, i think a, a nice gloss over i i was definitely saying that i'm a i'm a pretty classic middle child like i i have a lot of neurosis because of it so <laughs> but we get into that more later i suppose <laughs> yeah it's um yeah, it's it's weird, you know, you were saying your mom's only twenty years older than you. Like my my mom had me when she was like not quite eighteen. So uh-huh. like yeah, it's definitely it's it's one of those things like the older you get then you're like it makes like it seems like it's like a bigger deal. Like when you're a kid you're just yeah. like, Well, that's the adult but then as you're older you're like kinda like Oh shit! My mom is really not that much older than me. Yeah, yeah. If I was, if I was my mom, I would have you know teenagers right now, like which just completely blows my mind uh, to think about sometimes. And also, like you know, I had the classic like when I was in elementary school, you know, like five, six years old, my mom would come pick me up and 
you know, people would be asking if this was my older sister, you know, like kind of that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it, it seemed completely normal, uh, until like I become more cognizant to the fact that all my childhood friends, you know, their, their parents were you know, a, a little bit older, a little bit more established in life before they started, you know, having kids and such. But yeah, that's just kind of the way that those things roll. Like you kind of slowly come to terms with, Oh, I guess that isn't completely usual for me. So, yeah. Yeah. What kind of stuff were you into like as a as a kid like did you um did you get along with your siblings or was it just kind of pretty typical like sometimes and sometimes not? Uh I you know uh, I struggle with sometimes trying to like other myself in this regard or, or think that I'm such a unique a unique example but um, no, I, I, I really didn't get along with either of my siblings. I, I don't to this day. I, uh, I walked by my older brother with my partner a couple of years ago, and we just nodded at each other. And then my partner's like, oh, who's that? I'm like, my older brother. She was like, what? <laughs> like, genuinely very confused. Yeah. And, like, a lot of people uh, a lot of people are surprised to hear that I have siblings because I just, they don't really come up in my life much. Uh, we're, we're very radically just different people. And uh, I think, and I don't blame this on them, but I grew up in a pretty chaotic and, and not super healthy place. And we were all kind of just struggling, I think, to find you know, happiness or sanity or, or whatever, just some stability. Um, so ultimately we, we didn't really support each other because we were young and it was a mess. So it turned into a lot of like, you know, I was always a year younger than my brother in school. So I always got kind of picked on a little bit or made fun of because I was the chubby one and my brother was the athletic one and I was the artsy one. And, you know, just like weird stuff like that. And that, that tends to roll downhill and I wasn't the nicest to my sister growing up either, which, you know, I definitely have some regrets about it, but, um, yeah. What was I like as a kid? Um, I, I really struggled, uh, socially. Uh, I mean, I still, I still struggle socially, but, um, my, my mom actually, you know, got me checked out and stuff cause she was genuinely concerned that I, I might be, uh, a bit on like kind of the spectrum, uh, maybe autism, um, which is, you know, still maybe something to this day. Uh, but I, I was very, uh, I didn't talk much. I was very uh, introverted to a point where um, I could just go read or honestly, funnily enough, uh, it's kind of almost what I'm doing a little bit now more as a grown up now that I have time and money to myself. But I used to like play Dungeons and Dragons by myself in a, in a corner in my room, you know, until God knows, God knows when, because I think when, life is pretty chaotic and you don't feel like you have a very firm grasp on anything. It was very easy to disassociate and kind of just find uh, comfort in more of an, uh, an imaginary place. So yeah. uh, I was very into Dungeons and Dragons and, and Warhammer and just ner- basically nerdy stuff. Um, anything that would help me kind of, I think, get away from what was going on around me a lot of the time. And uh, I think actually, funnily enough, I used to read a ton of fantasy novels to the point where, my parents got uh, a little bit worried that I was like too into them. So they started forcing me to every time I read a fantasy novel that I chose, they got to choose like a piece of classic literature. And then I had to read that um, before I was allowed to read like another book of my own. So I ended up, um, I ended up going to university for like, like English lit and stuff like that. So I, I guess that was definitely part of what got me in that direction. Maybe is uh, from a pretty young age, I, I started reading 
you know, just various classic, uh, a lot of American classic literature and stuff. And yeah. But you're not so, talking about like, you're not talking about like Franz Kafka. You're talking about like Old Yeller or something. No, no, I'm talking about <laughs> like, you know, reading, I was, I read like Animal Farm and stuff at like a, probably a really, maybe even too young of an age or like oh, Johnny okay. Got Your Gun, uh, Lost in the Barrens. Yeah. You know, I, I had to, uh, Ernest, like Ernest Hemingway and stuff. So, like my, my stepdad was, uh, uh, a bit of a snob and, wanted to kind of, you know, show off all the different things he knew. So he started handing me a bunch of these, these books and kind of telling me that I had to kind of, you know, fig, you know figure them out. So I, I guess I did. So. Okay. So it was like stuff that was a, a little bit like, I don't know, that provocative is not the right word, but you know, like stuff. A little edgy, a little edgy yeah, for yeah, like yeah. A, a, an 11 year old perhaps. Yeah, I guess like, uh, I don't know. Um, not to, not to sound like a, a total, you know, snob about this kind of thing, but Johnny Got Your Gun, um, I didn't realize this till I was like partway into the book because I was like, I've been like a burgeoning metalhead punk kid from a very young age because I had like, I had like an uncle who was a bit of a, 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 <laughs> a bit of a misfit who would like listen to like metal and stuff. And then uh, I also had uh, like my like elementary school friends had like older brothers who would like listen to corn and stuff. So uh, I had already kind of like heard, you know, aggressive music and, and, wasn't super into music yet at this point, but I realized that it was uh, Johnny Got Your Gun is the basis for the movie that the music video for Metallica's one right. is based off of. So I was like reading this book and then like visualizing this like footage from this Metallica music video a lot of the time. And I don't know, it was kind of funny. Like I, I, I was like, wow, this is super metal. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I cannot sleep. I cannot die. <laughs> you know, so. for, for like forty hours reading that book with the double bass uh, part going in your head. <laughs> yeah, just like the the the, the best thing that La, Lars ever did. Just like that. <laughs> just like echoing in the back of my mind. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's really that's wild. Like, yeah, I I never um I had never heard of that book until you know, we've like saw the music video and it was like, this is based on this, which is based on this. And then I was like, yeah. Oh, and I, I actually still never read that, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I was, when I was a kid, I kind of, I was a little bit like you said, like how you were describing yourself, like, but, uh, by my own choice. Cause I was like trying uh -huh. to impress one of my, um, teachers that I think I had like kind of a crush on. Um, so I was trying to read like stuff that you know was probably a little bit um, ahead of ahead of myself, and I, I uh, sometimes I wonder like was that the best thing for me mentally to be re reading like the Metamorphosis and stuff, you know? Yeah, when I was like right. really young, like wow, you know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's funny. Uh, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I definitely think that I got into like classic literature, and by like, classical literature, like I mean like I was very from a young age. Like I'm gonna study all the old dead white dudes, and like now in retrospect, I'm like, well, you know, I could have maybe diversified a little bit. But like in the I think like tenth grade, my English assignment was we like a major assignment was like we were gonna read Frankenstein, and I was just like to my teacher like, well, can I read the Inferno? And she was legitimately like, you want to read the Inferno? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I want to read the Inferno. And she was like, okay. So I just like 
just like I went to a pretty like hippie liberal high school, so that probably helped with that. But yeah, like I definitely think there was like a bit of egotism to it too. Like, well, they're all going to read Frankenstein, but I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go way earlier and harder and kind of thing. So that's kind of funny. I think about it. That's funny you mentioned the Inferno because that's what I I did like my tenth grade paper for this uh, um, this particular teacher I was talking about. Oh, that's so funny! Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was Miss Messina. Um, ah, yeah. yeah. I think mine was, was Miss Nguyen, but yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. That's really funny. We had a bit of a a, a childhood sync up there for for a brief moment. Yeah, and it, um, it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 kind of weird too because it was like, you know, you just I can really think back on all the teachers I've ever had in my life and like, um. There's like I, maybe maybe three that I ever felt like gave a crap about what you were actually like learning or whatever. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. that's that's yeah. another reason that that like sticks out so much, you know, because it's like I felt like legitimately like, you know, seen as an, individual, in a, as an individual or whatever. Yeah. And engaged. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. So you said you. um you had an uncle that was into like metal and, and, uh, and stuff like that. Was your uncle yeah. like your same age as your mom or, or older or younger? he was, uh, he was a couple of years younger than my mom. So I, I think, you know, when I, so I think, let me think, let me, let me think here. So like when I was like five, he was like, I don't know, 22 or something like that. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. very much like kind of like, uh, formative age when I think about like in the inverse of like that's when I got like really deep into DIY and, and Screamo and like started really immersing myself in a bunch of that stuff like it's kind of funny to think like that's kind of what uh, I guess where he was at likewise but uh, I'm not gonna give him too much credit my uncle is kind of a, a not a, a great role model by any stretch but he did take me to my first show ever uh, when I was like 12 uh, basically my I like begged him to take me and my like childhood best friend to the show because that was the only way my mom would let me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, he took me to see Stabbing Westward and Placebo when I was twelve. Oh, Placebo, uh, which is so like, good. yeah, it's kind of like a funny first show to think back on because like I know a lot of people are like, oh, I saw you know the Wiggles or something. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, no, I didn't see like a single live concert till I was twelve, and I remember being in this like giant warehouse just like with just like goths and like people smoking inside everywhere. And like, you know, it was so loud and I had no idea what was going on. Cause I was like very overwhelmed, but yeah, that was kind of how, how we got, st- how I got started on that. So. Yeah. I don't remember like the name stabbing Westwards is really familiar and I'm sure like oh, man. there's a hit song <laughs> that, that like would jump yeah. around, but they were on like a, like an early 2000 slasher movie soundtrack with their song, uh, Save Yourself, which was kind of like a, a really big, uh, that was like their kind of like flash in the pan. Kind of, there was like a period in the early 2000s, right? That people took them sort of seriously. There's a, uh, there's a radio station here in, in Toronto or Ontario area called The Edge, which was like, you know, the alternative rock station. <laughs> so yeah. I, I grew up like, when I got really into music, I used to just like dub, uh, dub songs off the radio and like I would always just like anytime a Stan Westwood song came on just like freak out like <laughs> jump at my recording button. So yeah, totally. It's so funny, like you know, like you end up with those um 
you end up with these like compilation tapes that you made off the radio and or and it's like you miss like the first six seconds of the song. Yeah, so, you know, or there's like a or a commercial because you don't you stop the song soon yeah. enough or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that stuff is always great. I actually kind of really love that. Uh, yeah, mine were mine were all like M Sick Mix Volume One through twenty or something silly yeah. like that. By the end, then you'd have like the then you'd have the song that gets cut off, and if you mm-hmm. had if you had a tape deck that like would switch sides like i don't i don't think they would i can't i can't remember if they would switch sides like while they were recording and keep recording on the other I side think, i want to say no but i can't remember yeah i don't think they did i think i think fancier tape decks did definitely yeah. not what i had yeah i had like some crappy boom box i got from uh, god knows where but yeah. like yeah like uh the, i i remember like you know when i upgraded to like a less crappy boom box because the the dubbing quality was better and thinking like that, that was the greatest thing ever you yeah. know but um it's actually funny now that I meant, like you know cassettes were not you know free and like i was a pretty broke kid and i remember after my grandfather passed away he had a bunch of just cassette tapes so i got to you know kind of inherit some of those for dubbing purposes but the funny thing about it is my grandfather was actually uh, deeply into like a spiritual uh, religious community that was like South Asian, like in, based in India. So he had like a lot of, of cassette tapes of like kind of singing and kind of ch- like, chanting and various stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really weird to think about. It. I haven't thought about that in forever. But like, so, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't perfectly hit the end of a tape, obviously. So there were lots of tapes that I had where. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, there's only like two minutes left. It's not enough for a whole song. I'll just leave it. And it would just be like, you know, like this, my grandfather and this like group of like kind of yeah, spiritual friends. I'm not entirely sure what exactly the deal with it was, but like singing and just being like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. And then that would just be at the end of this, like mostly new metal and alt rock, you know, radio dub mix that I had made. So. Yeah. That's very 90 screamo actually. <laughs> yeah. I guess so, actually. That kind yeah. of like, uh, like a- outro, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like almost like a 108 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, so like, <clears throat> you saw you saw placebo. Um, so like you were already like somewhat invested in music by by that time when you were like 12 and stuff. Yeah. Um, but did you ever play any um, like instruments in school bands or anything like that? No, I I was like honestly um, I I I mean you know I like I think every childhood every child at least in Canada like it's pretty normal we would do like recorder mm-hmm. a little bit in elementary school and uh, I my mom did put me in piano lessons briefly but. Um, I always just had a blockage when it comes to musical instruments. Like, I, I don't understand music in terms of, like, I can't read it. Like, I don't know theory at all. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would eventually know how to... Pardon me. So a weird thing with me is that, like, my brain works to a certain point where I can, I can memorize stuff well enough that I can, like, remember the sequence and just kind of play something. But I, I didn't understand what made that song a song, you know? Like, I, and that's, like a big thing I think between the quote unquote like musicians and just people who know how to play music. And I actually like, wasn't until much later in my life when I was like 23, I played bass slash like learned to play bass with, uh, or no, I guess it was later. Yeah. yeah I guess like 22. I, I played bass in like a post-rock band. Um, 
that was like very like explosions in the sky worship kind of thing. Uh, the guitar player and songwriter that actually is a very talented photographer who did like the Respire uh, photo shoot for their new album, like that kind of thing. So uh, he's a he's like a, an old friend now. But uh, <clears throat> I, I very much learned how to play bass like for this band. And uh, again, yeah, I, I didn't really understand what I was doing, but uh, I just learned the patterns and learned kind of like where to intonate and where to play harder and, and softer and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of funny. I always felt like, I mean, I still to this day feel this way about everything. It's a real problem, but uh, I felt like a complete imposter. You know, like we'd be playing these shows and we got to play some really cool gigs. Um, and I just was just like, man, everybody here is like a quote unquote real musician. And I'm just kind of like, I just like remembering, you know, what, what to play when, you know, like that's kind of how I rolled. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, I definitely understand why, you know, you or anyone would feel that way, but it's like, I don't, I mean, that's like, I think your, your experience like is I mean, a, probably a good 50% of people who play music like that. I mean, I, I've been doing it for so long that like, I can screw around a little bit. I can stray from the path or whatever, but like, I mean, that's pretty much like in, you know, in Plague Walker and stuff, like when I'm, especially when I play drums, like, it's like, I'm like, okay, I'm about to play the song now. And like, if, like, I mean, I played the songs enough to where if something happens and like, I have to adjust because of something that's happening, like, that's fine. But generally yeah. speaking, it's just like, I'm going to do these things that I'm going to do the amount of times that I'm supposed to do them. And like, that's, that's, yeah. you know, um, and that's, I don't know if that's like, says anything about me as like a musician necessarily or or if that's just because of like my um uh <clears throat> like my demeanor or whatever you know that's just yeah. like <clears throat> that's how i'm comfortable you know or that's like the kind of person i am and yeah and not to um, not to you know be uh overly kind of like uh, honeyed at you or anything because like you know obviously you know I, I respect everything you do with that stuff and you and i are in like a, a long distance uh, thing together but um, you have, uh, like by far some of the strongest, like, uh, you know, I, I would refer to it as like an emotional intuition or emotional intelligence about particularly, you know, punk and, and emo and like what that, what that sounds like and what that like feels like. So I think for example, like in the notion of distance stuff, like the changes you made, um, like I'm, I'm used to, uh, you know, I just kind of do my part and the idea of writing other vocals or other lyrics for like another person was always really scary to me because, uh, you know, a, it's like very personal whenever I was yelling at the time, but also like, it just felt awkward and almost like pretentious to be like, and then you do this thing, but, um, you just were like, yeah, I'm going to do these, these parts to emphasize. And, and I was like immediately like, Oh yeah, this is all amazing and great. And that's because I think you just had like, such a, uh, you know, as I said, an emotional intelligence, like an intuition around particularly like, you know, emo music, for lack of a better term, like you can't see my air quotes in terms of like, <laughs> you know, with the, the DIY emo screamo slash whatever, but like, yeah, like, you know, you, you're just, you, you've got that knack, which is exactly why I think you've continued to do so well with it. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's like it's like, you know, basically what I was trying to get is like, you know, there's all, there's always, I think, 
always a level of comfort that somebody has with what they're doing, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, uh, just like anything else, it's like the more you do it, the more you become comfortable. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it is, a like the, the, um, like the blockades or whatever that you were, you know, expressing, like, um, people that feel that way, you know, I don't, I don't, I think that that is gonna persist or it's gonna, it re, it's gonna rear its head, you know, because it's not yeah. just about the, uh, the skill level you're at or at your comprehension, you know, uh, of, of the music or whatever. So like, you know, I just, I, I don't know, you know, like I, when it comes to stuff like that, I, I think I just try to remind myself like, um, that, uh, it's, hopefully it's fleeting and that you just, um, keep, keep going until you, um, you know, find your spot again, as it were. Uh-huh. I dread, I burn from the throat of the world, and then touch it to bed, the sun, heaven, not but How did you go from like going to the placebo show to and like you know dubbing tapes off the radio to like getting involved in the and, kind of and stuff? Music. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny actually. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I guess middle school and high school, I was like super into like uh, new metal. <laughs> like uh, I'm of that age where like you know uh, I, I was jokingly saying that I was the perfect age where. Um, I was old enough to get into new metal, but I wasn't really old enough to start a band yet, you know, so I don't have any of those like super embarrassing photos that are floating around the internet of me or anything. Uh, I actually, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Woodford, who's in Notion of Distance with us, uh, he, uh, there are some really fun photos of him in like his new metal days, uh, on Facebook if you, if you dig around enough. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's the good stuff. But, um, I, so I was really into that and like, you know, that kind of progressed, you know, the, 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 at its worst slash best, I had a Slipknot shirt for like every day of the week. Like I had like seven Slipknot shirts because there was a, 
this this really crappy, you know, I, I, I thought it was the coolest place in the world, but downtown there was this shop called Rock Variety and they just had like different like metal, like crappy metal and new metal band t-shirts for like, you know, 20 bucks. And yeah, I had like a, I had like a, like a, what's it called? A paper route. So I'd make like, you know, 80 bucks a month doing this. And I would just like turn those into new metal shirts. Cause that to me was like, like a cool t-shirt was like the number one fashion thing I needed to do at a young age. But, um, so I was really into that. I, that kind of crept into, you know, artsier stuff. I got really into like tool and everything like that. Um, but I, weirdly it wasn't, I guess I was like, like 16 or so. Um, I had heard the name Alexis on fire, uh, kind of like murmured, uh, throughout, you know, whatever. And then I think I was watching, uh, much music in Canada, which is like our MTV back in the day. They had like a, a punk show and a metal show, which was like half an hour once a week. And it was like sacred time. It was like Sunday at like 10 PM to 11 PM was like actual good music was being played on much music, like LOL. But, um, and I think, um, an Alexis on fire music video came on and I remember being like, Oh, okay, cool. I can finally hear what this band is all about because I've heard uh, about them. And then uh, that was like, I guess the first time I would have heard like, quote unquote, like screamo. And I remember the first time I heard it, like I was like angry at how much I disliked it. I was like, this is so bad. Like people actually like this stuff. It's like nonsensical. And then, um, I think like, honestly, like a couple days later, it kind of like clicked in my head again. And I was like, wait, like, I think I really like that. And I want to check that out more. And I, I obsessively waited for uh, a, re a replay of that same show that I saw on, and then I, I actually recorded it off the, off the TV on like a blank VHS. And then I ended up like watching this video like 30 times in a row. Uh, and then suddenly I was like, that's it. I like Screamo now. And then uh, I remember spending uh, almost all the money I had to get, like I found a used copy of the CD and a shop. Uh, I, grew up, I grew up in around a neighborhood in the city called the Annex. And it's not like this anymore, unfortunately, but once upon a time, there was like five or six really good used CD stores. Uh, so I like hunted it, I hunted down a copy. And uh, I remember I was walking around the museum downtown because I had to do an assignment for high school. And I was just listening to this self-titled like on Fire record just like on the loop and just was just like, it just like burned into my brain. So that's when I kind of started getting really into that kind of stuff. And then I, I got into, I guess, like some more like emotional hardcore and like that kind of thing. I got really into like this day forward. Uh, Cause yeah, there was just like all these used record or all these used CD shops in my neighborhood. So I used to go and then just like, I find like the name of a band that was like thanked in the booklet of like a CD. Right. And if I, I recognize the name, cause like, you know, this was kind of pre the internet being as much of a thing, which is weird to say, like it, it definitely existed, but mm -hmm. A, like, I, I had to dial into it and B, I didn't have just like open access to it all the time because my parents were kind of a little regimented with that stuff. So yeah, I remember just like picking up like this day forward stuff and just getting really into more of like the emotional side of like hardcore and emo and screamo or whatever. And then, uh, yeah, that kind of followed me throughout the years. And then, yeah, it wasn't until I guess like university, I ended up moving onto campus because uh, I couldn't really live at home anymore. And uh, they had this like free uh, file share kind of program that was built by some like computer engineering students. Uh, so, you know, it was kind of like a soul seat kind of thing, but specifically for the campus. And uh, I suddenly like had access to all this music like, really rapidly. And uh, I remember a friend of mine who I played in a really bad band with for like six months, uh, he like played me the Orchid like totality 
CD, and I was like, oh, this was kind of cool, I guess. Like, yeah, sure, I'll like rip it onto my computer and, and listen to it more and more. And then, yeah, I just slowly but surely kind of got uh, more into that stuff, and then it just kind of really kind of took over a large part of my identity for a while. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, from from football to orchid was like a natural progression somehow. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was gonna say, you know, like a a lot of um, Canadian folks that I've spoken with, like Alexis on Fire, really is like in the firsts and like yeah, Alexis on Fire was like a massive gateway for quite a lot of Canadian people and like particularly Southern Ontario because they're only from like an hour south of where I am right now. Right. Um, and like, yeah, like, um, the, the local screamo bands, the first time I saw like a screamo band live where I didn't even know what I was watching. Like I was there to see a friend's like alt rock band and then the screamo band opened. Uh, I became like obsessed and ended up becoming friends with the singer and he kind of introduced me to a lot of stuff and kind of was like, you know, the first like really welcoming person in that regard. But, um, he told me a story about how he missed out, uh, on getting to go to the last orchid show. Uh, with the singer of Lex on Fire because, like, their ride bailed on them or something last minute. Uh-huh. And just, like, at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever, like, that sucks. But, like, I think about it now, you know, like, 15-plus years later, I'm like, oh, my God, that would have been so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like a legendary encounter experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, totally. So yeah, it's kind of, kind of wild, but, like, yeah, like, uh, a lot of people I know, like, that first, uh, that first album, uh, the first and second album, like, a lot of people, like, watch out as well, but... For those of us who like got a little bit, you know, more like snobby about it, it was like first album, and we're talking about like original production quality, like not before they cleaned it up because like all the stuff you can find online now, they like they like smoothed it over and remastered it. I'm like, no, like I'm talking like the gnarliest, like most kind of tin canny sounding uh, version <laughs> of the CD. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was like so into it. Yeah, there was like the original version. There was even like there was a point in the recording. Like I think it was somewhere around where where Kennedy's curse was at uh-huh. on the record, but um, there was a point in the recording where it's like straight up sounded like a different recording almost. Like, almost, yeah. Uh-huh. It, it was like, did the guitars just start sounding worse? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the songs are still great, but it's like, yeah, it was some weird. Yeah, thing. they they did all sorts of weird stuff on that CD too, right? And I remember like I talked about that museum trip, but like. The first time I heard Polaroids of Polar Bears and how the end of that song just got like progressively more and more distorted, like I was actually genuinely worried that like my my, my CD player Walkman had like broken, and I was like, oh god, what's happening? And then like when it finally like you know cuts, and then you just hear that little bit of like Dallas like whimpering, and I was like, oh my god, that was the best thing ever. But this is also a very important question, Sean. Like, what's your favorite song off of their self-titled record? Because I think that's like a huge point of tension for a lot of like particularly Canadian screamo fans. I mean, you like, I think probably a lot of people are going to say 44 caliber. It's classic. Uh, it's classic. Yeah. 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 But I, maybe pulmonary archery, which is yeah. probably the video that you saw, right? Yeah. It was in fact, pulmonary yeah. archery. Yeah. Um, that's cool. I mean, those are both excellent choices. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm privileged enough to say that because I'm from the same region, I got to see them play some like random smaller shows. Like I, I've seen every song off of that album performed live. Oh, yeah. So that was like a, that was like an accomplishment. But for me, it's uh, where no one knows, uh, which is, you know, essentially like Dallas used to sell like a demo of 
his acoustic music, like at Alex on Fire shows. So, you know, some people know also that's essentially his song, Sam Malone, is kind of like put over top of like a screamo song. But yeah, that song, like, uh, like as an emotionally fragile <laughs> young person, that song just like wrecked me. And to this day, like, Anytime it comes on, I just kind of just like, I'm just way too, like, I'm just kind of, I get lost in the feels too, too heavily. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's hard because there, there really are like a lot of like clutch spots in, on that it's, album. It's a brilliant, brilliant record, brilliant record. And even, even they just about it. They're like, oh, it's too chaotic and all over the place. I'm like, you don't get it. That's when you guys were your, the best. Like, yeah. that's when you guys. We're absolutely the best, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, we actually did see them uh, in a similar ex- like experience that you're talking about. Like we, we saw them like in a Legion Hall in northwestern Indiana when there's like ten, you know, t- like ten to twenty five people that weren't in bands. The like, best, the best kind of shows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was. They were really good. They were nice too. We hung out with them at a couple different shows after that, you know, because yeah. we chatted with them and stuff. But, yeah, um, they were always re- they were always really nerdy and friendly and stuff. And like, I remember Dallas let me take a photo with like a crappy disposable camera of like one of his tattoos because I just thought it was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's really cool. That's uh, that's also like I don't know that that seems very cute to me. Like that idea. Um, but uh, yeah, like. So you, you know, you were, you started going to shows, um, and you said you were already kind of playing in a band at that point. I, I, my first band was in high school. We were kind of like, you know, a a band that wanted to be like Monine, but with like breakdowns or something, you know, like it was cause like, that's kind of where all the pent up. Uh, teenage aggression kind of comes up, but um, I I started out in like a band like that, no idea what I was doing, and I, I only even started singing in bands because my friend who played guitar in that band literally was like, "Hey, I'm making a new hardcore band, quote unquote hardcore band, and you're gonna sing in it." And I remember being like, "Cause I, I was just the person hanging out," um, but he was like, "I can just tell you're gonna be good at it," and you know, to this day, I still think he's full of shit, obviously, but like. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I started. And I remember one of the first times I genuinely like yelled, uh, I think we were doing like a From Autumn to Ashes cover or something cause we were all like 16, 17, but like, um, like I, my whole, like my whole diaphragm, like my whole body just like shivered in pain. <laughs> and I remember being like, you guys, like that really hurt. Like, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this. And they were like, they're like, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, you know, then someone made a comment about how Jake Bannon pukes blood every night after Converge sets, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I gotta, I guess I need to, you know, pukes blood. <laughs> so, so, that's uh, where some of the unrealistic expectations started, I guess, at a young age, kind of thing, so. Yeah, that's, um, it's, you know, like, I still am, you still see that in to this day, you see, even with all the information that you have at your fingertips, like just go on YouTube. There's tutorials, you know, whatever. Oh yeah, there's that. There's that of screaming. <laughs> yeah, you still have that, like that, like people's like desire to like one up each other with like. Yeah, it's, like, it's tough guys. Stuff, I hurt right? myself. Yeah, yeah. you're like. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll be. I'll be totally. I, I ended up playing in like a very much like a real metalcore band 
like that was very much like a ripoff of like we wanted to be Converge and Botch and Curl Up and Die, like that kind of stuff. Like I played in that band uh, in my early 20s for like several years. Uh, and we were called The Veil. Uh, and I, I like I, I played with that same drummer from high school, and I internalized a lot of that kind of that kind of tough guy attitude stuff. And like uh, I used to watch videos of like you know some vocalists that I really admire, and, and like just them like you know destroy themselves. And I thought that that was like the bare minimum that was expected of me. So yeah. you know I, I didn't discover this till like you know years later, but I I fucked up. I actually damaged my knees. Like I I, I like. I like really went for it a lot of the time. Cause I thought that was, was like required of me. Cause like in my, in the back of my head, well, I'm the no talent singer. So I have to like, you know, put on a show and really go for it. So I think about some of the things I did and like, man, I kind of really seriously like hurt myself. Like, but I, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough. I didn't like break anything, but I like actually damaged some parts of my knees. And like, I remember I rolled my ankle badly enough that I couldn't walk a couple times, like a couple times for like a few days or like I'd, I'd like crawl back into my, my my house, you know, and my mom would just be furious at me, and she'd just be like, "Am I gonna take you to the hospital?" Like, and I was like, "No, mom." She's like, "You can't keep doing this." I'm just like, "It's you don't understand." Like, you know, it's punk. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like, this is this is what's required of us. So, yeah, it's uh, it's funny to think about how like unhealthy those expectations are. Yeah. I used to get a, I used to get, like, I had a reputation in one of my bands because I would get sick after every show. And, like, it was like, it it was like, look, this isn't like, this isn't glamorous. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm a a bundle of nerves. And then when that's over, like, I, I just get sick. Like, I, I don't, it's not, like, I'm not trying to be like cool or like, wow, that was because this was so, I mean, it, I guess it was because it was so intense, you know, but it, it it wasn't like, I wasn't trying to force myself to be sick to, um, you know, get like people's, uh, like, um, to get my cred level up, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, no, I, I got you. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I, I, it got to a point where, um, like in Fox Mulder, like, when we started out, I was pretty nervous and anxious a lot of the time. And I was an anxious, generally speaking, an anxious mess most of the time. But I eventually learned that I could, like, channel some of that anxiety at least into, like, 15 or 20 minutes of it actually feeling like it could serve the purpose, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of nice. And, in a, you know, not to get super, like, pretentious and but, like, it almost felt like almost like a ballet at the time. Like, it, it was, like, it was okay um, for me to to actually kind of just like freak out and, yeah. and you know, like, it, you know, uh, not really, it was, it was, it was like okay to unravel for those like 15 or 20 minutes at a time, you know? And that was like something that I, I think a lot of people who grew up living through some pretty tough times, like uh, survivalism is like a huge thing. And like, I've, been so self-conscious and focused a, a, a really large percentage of my life on trying to appear quote unquote normal and like, well, you know, uh, what's the term? Like, you know, like, uh, not well-rounded, but just like, you know, uh, just stable and like, uh, like I have my shit together and it just felt like a, it felt like a small fragment of time where it was okay for me to talk about things that were like really, really hard for me. And like, yeah, that was like, 
like one of the kind of, I, but that to me is like the whole reason why we play this kind of music in a way, you know, it's yeah. just like that, that, like catharsis is an obvious word for it, but just like, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like, uh, I've talked about things at shows and in songs that I would probably like blubber right now, like just like break down crying. If I tried to just have like a, like a frank one-on-one conversation about yeah. But somehow it, somehow it gave me that like window, which was like really helped me kind of through some pretty tough stuff like growing up and kind of getting my feet under me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said catharsis and, and like, yeah, that is the obvious thing. I mean, like and and, you know, what I was like sort of like uh, commenting on before is not like that's not I'm not make, like I wasn't comparing that to this like just like uh-huh. trying like purposely trying to beat yourself up or whatever like yeah, yeah totally. compared to like yeah getting lost in the moment and getting uh just getting like really um like just being like overwhelmed like you're yeah, actually yeah. letting, letting yeah. yourself be that way yeah and uh, i i uh not not to say that you were saying that necessarily but it is interesting to me that a lot of people think that it, like those things are the same, like, Oh, like, you know, Sean or Anne or whatever was getting like, so over the top, like emotional while they're playing. It's like, yeah, but that, that was never performance to me. And I know right. the same with you. It's like, right. like it, 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 believe it or not, like, you know, sometimes like channeling into this stuff, it's, uh, it's the closest thing I've ever felt to just being like completely like, uh, apart from myself, you know? And it's like, that was the whole reason why I kept going is because I, I think in a certain way, I, I, I found that I, every time I got to do it, like I did learn a little bit of something new and, and grew a little bit as painful as it was. It, it almost felt like, you know, uh, three months of therapy, uh, smashed into a, a 15 minute set in some basement somewhere in, in Wisconsin, you know, it was like, yeah. kind of like a, an immensely valuable thing for, you know, sometimes not needing to worry about, quote-unquote seeming okay for a while you know yeah and you you said you said it like you feel apart from yourself and then what i was gonna say earlier when you said that you felt like you could say things that you couldn't say now without like breaking down is like you know yeah i i I never really thought about it that way before but it you really do almost experience like kind of an anonymity in a way yeah like Uh To, totally. you know because you have that freedom and and like you know you feel like uh relatively like safe from judgment you know as far as like however much you're gonna you know you choose to open up or whatever so yeah. um yeah that is a very like succinct way to put it you know um i never really like uh <laughs> i've never really like you know, in in my case, sometimes that turns into like um, me being like less of a uh, of like a an um, open open like window of, for my emotions or whatever. But like sometimes other parts of my personality come out, like um, that warehouse show we played with y'all in Toronto, where I just I don't know what I was doing, but people were just laughing all the time and I I was like I don't know I don't know like um but it was like I was like a stand-up comedian or something for that one set and I remember you were like I don't like how 
delirious are you? you like you said something like you you were hilarious like what was going on <laughs> like i don't know if you remember that but that was I like, do a little bit that was a really long day though like i when i think when i think about and i'm not even talking about just like uh you know between playing and booking shows over the years back when i ran a label so too like i don't know 300 some odd shows um I think about like some of those days are long because you know it involves a lot of setup and long shows and lots of chaos and various things. But like I think about that show with with you guys and yeah, that was like one of the longest days I can remember because like you're you're all you're all your van broke down like you know like a half hour like walk from my apartment, uh-huh. you know, and then like I came up with you guys and then like. You know, it was like, it started out as like, oh, you guys are so early. This is great. We'll be able to hang out and relax. And like, <laughs> and then it was like, you know, three hours waiting in the cold, like staying in like a, in a bank kiosk or whatever, like for uh, like a tow truck. And it was like, thankfully, like the guy who worked at the bank was like willing to let you use like his, you know, CAA, which is the like AAA equivalent, like his membership to like yeah. haul the van to like uh, get repaired and stuff. I'm like, that was that was crazy and just like van cabs and stuff moving back and forth and yeah that was a that was an intense day like i was exhausted and i didn't have to play or think about you know the repairs to my van or anything so i i i totally do not blame you in retrospect now being like yeah i would be delirious too like that was (laughs) that was a hell of a day I know that you started the label um, before Fox Mulder was a band. Like, yeah. Um, but when I looked online, because I, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't get to know you until until Fox Mulder. So uh-huh. the label had been going for a little while before that. Um, and but when I looked online, I really only just found a few things. Um, uh, so when when did you start the label? You know, that's honestly a good question. Uh, so, um, my kind of like real timeline for like really getting into like more like localized, smaller level like DIY punk stuff was like I, I graduated university in 2009, and it was that summer um, I essentially had like befriended through Chris, actually, uh, Chris Woodford, our guitar player, keeps mm-hmm. being like the 
the, the root of a bunch of stuff because he's older and used to be more savage with this. But, you know, he was contacted by this band at Edmonton that wanted uh, some help booking shows. So I ended up um, booking uh, a couple of bands from Edmonton, uh, several shows around Southern Ontario. And then I was like, hey, can I come with you guys? And uh, back to Edmonton. And they were like, sure. So that was the first time I ever really got to go on tour. Um, so those bands are called Gift Eaters and Red Hot Daggers. And members of that band ended up being like um, Book of Caverns. And oh. uh, the, the, the bass player of Gift Eaters ended up doing like a more of like a, a solo dance project kind of thing that was like really popular for a while. And it's kind of just like, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny in, in retrospect, like thinking back on a, a bunch of that. But um, so I, I got like really interested in that and I started getting more and more into the Canadian scene. And it was actually on that tour that I first met Vanessa uh, from La Luna or as they were known back then, Brain Fever, because mm-hmm. she actually booked the, those bands Calgary show and then uh, they ended up playing in Edmonton the next day. So I got to hang out with her a little bit and, uh, you know, uh, see you know, Brain Fever slash La Luna a couple nights in a row. And then I, I was like getting really into all this stuff and I ended up becoming friends with her online. And then I was like, hey, like, um, are you guys going to do a demo? Like, can I maybe put it out? And I had really no idea what I was doing. And she was like, I mean, sure, okay, if you want. So um, that's how I kind of got started putting out stuff. And my first couple of releases are really, like, smaller Canadian things in general. And I I think I did about 23 releases overall. Um, It was a big mix of, like, tapes and, and vinyl but uh, yeah, I didn't do anything that was like super big on the radar of anything outside of Canada, I think, until later on, where I ended up helping with uh, the Bonavir and Suffolk split, uh, which to me, like, I thought that was the coolest fucking thing in the world that they would let me help with that. Yeah. So it was like, I, I got really into Bonavir like very early on. Uh, like, I actually had, like, I have, like, I have so much random Bonavir stuff. Like, you know, I had their original cassette demo. You know, I have, like, four test presses of their various records because, like, you know, I, like, every connection I had, like, oh, you know, this label in Vancouver is is releasing their demo on 10-inch. I'm going to hit them up. And then, like, you know, the guys in Loma, because they shared members, too, like, ended up, like, bringing me a test press, like, when they came to Toronto. Just, like, weird, crazy stuff like that. And so, but, yeah, so uh, I did that. I did, um, for me, like, one of the last releases I think I did was I got to do a four-way split with uh, Kaddish, and Bonehouse from Scotland, and I was like super into the UK emo scene for a while. I got really into bands like Wellwisher from Manchester and Human Hands from Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And Human Hands are just like the coolest fucking band, and so and so nice. And they had like all these small releases. So I was like, hey, can I put out like a discography tape for you? So um, you know, I put out essentially like all of their collected stuff up to a certain point, mm-hmm. and just like stuff like that. You know, like I just got like super deep into things, and then was just like I feel like it, it was it always just felt like i wanted to, i just wanted to be able to help any way i could and it was like if that meant throwing some money down and posting on my tumblr you know like i, I would do whatever i could and then uh, that just kind of like happened like kind of coincided with a lot of like booking shows and stuff and getting more and more into that and uh yeah i kind of fox Mulder kind of took a lot more of my attention as the band got going as well as um frankly like i'm not i'm still to this day like i'm not very good with money like, I'm actually pretty bad with it. Um, and, like, I kind of got pretty in the hole, like, uh, financially. Like, I just kind of kept, like, you know, I, I didn't really know how to run a business. So I, like, had, like, my distro, and I would go, and on, like, a good night, I'd make, like, 100 bucks, like, selling tapes and, and records. 
And then, you know, I wouldn't put that towards my credit card. I would put that in my pocket. Then I'd go get dinner and, like, hang out with people. And then next thing you know, like, my credit card just kept growing. And, like, so I kind of put down the label partially because I was, like, I just am at kind of, like, a breaking point financially as, as well as just, like, you know, it took a lot of my emotional energy. And so I kind of needed to back off of it. So being in a band was cool because it, it felt like, like a much simplified version of being a label in a way, not to downplay running a label or sorry, or anything like that thing is like running labels, like the hardest thing and like the coolest thing. Um, and just being in a band, at least I could like download some of that stress onto like, you know, three other people where I was just like, you know what, like you, you worry about how we're going to get to this place today, you know, like not, not me. Like, I don't want to be the, the parent in this circumstance all the time. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um it's it's really wild, you know, like uh only label people, you know, <laughs> like really yeah. you know, really know like I yesterday I got up at uh I got up at like uh, uh at like six thirty in the morning. So I'm my my kids were gonna get up for school soon. So I got up at like six thirty in the morning and uh I'm down, I'm downstairs, I'm packing records and like, um, my, you know, my kids are learning at home right now. So like, uh, I'm, I was, so I was like here and there, I was like, uh, helping them with whatever they needed to get done or whatever, but mostly I'm down here packing records. And then, um, it's a, it's, it's like, uh, noon and then it's like five thirty. And then it's like seven thirty, and I was like, I've really been down here like all day, like yeah. just doing this. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty wild. Like obviously the um, the friendships that you make and stuff, you know, and like being part of the community is like really awesome. But then you're just like, damn, I like. I, I wanted to play PlayStation today. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, we, we don't have to get into, like, the negative side too much because, obviously, we don't want to, like, bring the vibe down too much. But, like, yeah, and I know, I know you've had this experience, too, but, like, I got kind of, like, fucked over a couple times, too, where I was, yeah. like, you know, basically just, like, cut out of decision-making and, like, essentially, like, it was determined that my money was good enough, but, like, my label wasn't, you know, like, that uh, kind of thing. Yeah. And, like... You know, there's a couple, if you, if you really research it, uh, there's some gaps in my uh, Mountain Fire discography where it's like, oh, well, what, what about AMF number blank? I'm like, I don't talk about that record. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. like, just like, no, like that was a bad vibe. I'm, I refuse to get into it anymore. And like, you know, I own all my releases, like one copy. But there's a couple that I was like, you know what? The emotional energy and like, uh, you know, frustration this caused, like I don't even want it in the house anymore. So like it, uh ended up uh, elsewhere but uh yeah i don't know it's 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 funny like being a label is like the coolest thing it's also like the, the worst thing yeah sometimes people think that like you know you're just like a bag of money on on legs or something it's just like but like you're not really doing anything you're just financing it and like oh okay cool like thanks you know appreciate appreciate the uh yeah, the, no. the thought no way the hustle never stops like it's it's just like like you talked about like you you're going to a show and you're and you're trying to like sell tapes and stuff but it's like yeah i mean like that sounds simple enough okay but then you're like you're not like nobody's thinking about like you walked like three blocks 
with two yeah. boxes of tapes <laughs> yeah, and you're almost yeah. dropping them the whole way, you know, and it's the, freezing. The logistics, yeah. the logistics are a legitimate thing. I remember, um, so my distro for, and the thing is also, is like, right. Like, um, I take my distro to like local shows all the time, but after a while, people are just like bored of all of my stuff. And they're just like, they don't like, Oh, we know M's distro. I don't want any of it. So uh, it pushes you to like, you know, travel with your distro. And I remember like, um, shortly after my first tour, I ended up, um, going and uh, I, I'm pretty good friends with Tyler Daniel Bean, who's a really talented musician out of Vermont. And um, so I ended up going and hanging out with him. And that was like, we had met through talking about booking shows. Uh, you know, he asked me if I could help a band. And I was like, sure. The show didn't end up happening. But then I was like, hey, like, um, I, I, I was at that point where I was finishing university. I'm like, you know what? I've got some wanderlust and like, I'm going to hop on a bus and just go to Vermont and hang out if that's cool. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So I ended up buying a, um, it was in Edmonton. I bought uh, from a Salvation Army. I bought like this ridiculous old suitcase that was like really crappy and it was like seafoam colored, but that ended up being my distro suitcase. So I had my suitcase, like my distro with me in Vermont. And you know, the guys at the border are like, what the hell, like the border guards. And I'm like, oh, it's just gifts for friends. Even though I have like five copies of like, a bunch of, a bunch of random things. Right. Yeah. And they were kind of like suspicious, but thankfully like didn't, think of me much as a threat or anything so I, I got in but you know uh, so I remember I, I ended up hauling this thing around and there were times where like I took I, I, I took the bus to Montreal which for those of you who aren't geographically inclined in terms of Canada that's like you know the next big like major city really but that's like a six seven six seven hour bus ride and I would I would take the bus with my distro table at a show you know, in downtown, like, cool West End Montreal, because, like, my friend's band was playing, there's some cool show going on, and then I would actually, like, sell some decent stuff, which was, like, really exciting, because people didn't know me as much, um, and then I would get on a bus, like, later that night, or early the next morning, and then go home, and then go back to my life, so there were times where I was spending, like, you know, like, 12 hours in transit to be in a city for, like, sometimes 8 to 24 hours, which was just kind of like in re in retrospect like ridiculous now like I couldn't yeah. imagine doing it anymore. But. Yeah, yeah. But it's... yeah, I was just like I was just like hopping along anywhere I could, just like with my with my seafoam suitcase of like a mountain <laughs> far record and stuff like that. So a legitimate traveling salesperson. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it definitely felt like that sometimes. I remember I got this this really tacky bumper sticker in Vermont that said, "I love Vermont." And like, you know, like I just like slap it on there and that was just like with me everywhere I went. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, you know, getting into Fox Mulder uh, at this point, um, oh, yeah. what, um, how did that band start? How did you meet everyone? And, and um, like, how did the, you know, pieces start to fit together? Um, so uh, I'll, I'll be pretty frank. Like, so there was like a, a bit of a screamo post hardcore whatever scene in like Southern Ontario, like that was older than me. Um, and that, you know, that was bands like Moaning and like Sunfire, but like, uh, that they kind of progressed past and were a little bit older. So then there were people who were like around my age or a little bit older who were in kind of like the next generation of bands. And the one that I got really into, and I actually were very friendly to me was a band called Strawman Fallacy. And this was like super orchidy, like really fast, really violent. Uh, and I just remember being like completely blown away, like that changed my life kind of thing. Um, and like I found some other local bands, but to be totally honest, they were almost all from like the same one or two suburbs. 
And um, they were really quite exclusive, a lot of the people, and they weren't very friendly and they weren't very welcoming. Uh, and I was kind of looked at like this, you know, weirdo who was just really into like these two or three localish bands. Um, so I didn't really have a good time with a lot of that. And like, I really wanted to make my own band and, uh, cause my metalcore band was not cool enough and would get made fun of anytime I tried to play with any of those people. Um, so I kind of, I, I knew I'd always wanted to be in a screamo band. So that was never like anything, uh, super like revolutionary to me, but, um, I had met Rohan because, uh, he was in like, uh, a band from Mississauga, which was called No Alarms and then was called, uh, Della Truda later on. And both Darren and Ron, who were in Foxwell at the end, were both in that band. Uh, and, you know, they were solid, but they were, like, really young, and they were way too... I, I always refer to this when it comes to, like, like screamo bands or, like, younger people in this stuff. Like, it was a little too self-referential. It was, like, you know, trying too hard to be a screamo band. And that was always, like, a thing. So I remember I would, like, you know, have these really frank conversations with them where I'd be like, you guys are, like, solid musicians. You're, like, you know, you can write cool stuff. You need to stop being so worried about, like, appearing emo, you know, quote unquote. <laughs> uh, but I, so I remember just like talking to Ron a bunch and was just like, you want to do a band? And uh, he was like, yeah, we could do that eventually. And then uh, our original drummer, Selvin, was someone I had known from the metalcore scene <laughs> for years. And uh, he was just like pretty amicable and like, yeah, cool, like I'll do it, whatever. And then uh, Matt, our original bass player, uh, Matt Bambach, uh, hilariously had just moved to Toronto and Canada from Michigan after he had finished university, because uh, he got a, a, a job with one of the really big newspapers in Canada uh, as like a graphic design guy. And uh, he had posted on uh, the Facebook event for one of the a show that I was running. Uh, it was this like Midwest emo band, uh, Grown Ups. Uh, and uh, Doyle from that band is in Cloakroom now. Uh-huh. Um, like So uh, Matt had posted on the wall on Facebook being like, I just moved here from Michigan. I fucking love emo. This is so cool. I'm so excited. And like, I met, so I met him at that show being like, Oh cool. I saw you on the thing. And then he was just like a one man party. You know, he was just like rocking out and singing along. and was just like super into it. And I just was like, really like, cool. This, this is like a, you know, a, a new person. He seems like really, really rad. And then, um, he like loosely played bass. I think he said he played bass in like a ska band or something in college. And then, I was like, sure, man, like, let's, let's, let's do this. So that was kind of how we started. And that's like, you can kind of tell it was a little bit rough in the early stages of the band. But it is, I, I think I remember we were all sitting at like, <clears throat> there's a, a Mecca uh, Tex-Mex restaurant slash venue in Toronto called Sneaky D's. Um, it's, you know, kind of made famous in a variety of like, you know, it's in Scott Pilgrim and stuff. And uh, it was like, uh, you know, it's like a pretty pivotal spot to like play shows in and get to go see shows. I think we were all downstairs eating like nachos and just like having like a drink and talking. And, uh, you know, I think I gave this like speech where I was just like, I'm sick and tired of like talking about like this hypothetical emo band that we could be in, you know, and how cool that'd be. And I was like, fuck that. Like it, we could just do it. Let's just do it. You know, like it's like, uh, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't really know how to play. And I was like, it doesn't matter. I don't know what I'm doing either. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, all that matters is that, like, you know, we give a shit and we put our energy into it. And that's being in an emo band, you know? So I think that's kind of how it started. And then uh, the name was just a complete fucking joke that just got, like, picked up and ran with. And, uh, but yeah, like, you know, we just, we, we, would, we got together and I think we wrote, like, a song of practice for the first several practices. And 
I think within like a month and a half, we recorded Hindsight, our demo, and then we just kind of went from there. So it was a pretty like fly by the seat of the pants kind of thing. And uh, frankly, you know, we got some of our first shows probably just because uh, the clout, quote unquote, of the fact that I, I booked shows and people knew me for my label. So they're like, oh, cool, let's just give M's band a shot. But like, we were playing shows where like ultimately people were like not very into it because they're like, what is this bad screamo nonsense? But uh, it's like really funny because uh, we got like tapped to play some like kind of like, I remember thinking like, oh, we have no right to play this show, but sure, like I'll, I'll take it <laughs> kind of thing. But, uh, so yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. We actually, this is like a really fun kind of like deep cut, but we got tapped to play a secret refused after party show because refused were playing Toronto and they had been doing that thing on that tour where they were like, playing small bars afterwards like secret shows to like 100 people so we got asked like hey do you want to quote unquote like you know play this random bar on this night for an after party show like air quotes and i remember just being like to the promoter like greg who does a bunch of hardcore stuff like are, are you serious and he's like yeah like go for it and then uh so we're like cool we get to play with refused so, to like a couple hundred people in a bar like and then the refused didn't end up showing up uh, they just like didn't they didn't feel up for it that night. So uh, as after we had played and like you know the place was packed and like people started being kind of rowdy and getting grumpy because it was clear that something wasn't going to happen. Uh, I remember talking to the rest of the guys at the band we're like we should get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Let's, get it. Let's go before people remember who we are. Yeah, for, or, or just kind of like you know it's like I didn't pay ten dollars to see those shitty screamo bands. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's wild. That so yeah. they ne- like they never just like beforehand were like, yeah, that band's not showing up. They just like let the let it pan out, huh? They, it just kind of it just kind of kept happening. Yeah, and we we were playing with um, Burning Love, who uh, uh, this is like you know cloud check for people, but Burning Love had uh, Chris Callahan from Cursed. That was like his band at the time, um, a bit more, a bit more of like a rock and roll punk thing. But uh, they, uh, Chris, kind of because he can be a bit of a shit disturber, uh, God bless him, but he was like, you know, hey, what's up, everyone? We're burning love from Sweden, Ontario, or something like that. And, like, you could just, like, feel the annoyance in the crowd that <laughs> people were just, like, like uh, grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> it was, like, there was definitely, like, a, a tension building in the room. <laughs> uh, it's, it's wild. I remember you telling me that story um, about going into the video store that Chris worked yeah. in. And I was just like, holy shit. Cause like, yeah, I don't know. Like the swarm was like always a fucking huge band. Yeah. I had even heard a little bit of that stuff, but I had no idea. And it was like, I had been going into, it was called suspect video, um, where Chris had worked for years with my, like my childhood best friend. Cause we would just rent like any shitty horror movie we could get our hands on. And then we would stay up all night watching movies and then we would sneak out and like wander you know west end of toronto just kind of being uh delinquents but like yeah it wasn't until way later in my life i remember like getting into curse and people being like well you know that's chris like you know had suspect and i was like like super like wait what (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's wild yeah it was one of those moments i think coming to terms with the fact that um sometimes your punk idols are really not that far apart from you at all you know like they're not they're not all like suddenly these massive successful musicians, like some of them are still just like hanging out locally, just like working the same shitty jobs and like still being rad, but just like 
they never lost themselves in this kind of like they never bought into their own hype, you know, quote unquote, as yeah. well as just kind of like yeah, like the dude loves dude loves horror movies, so he worked at the video store, you know, like how cool is that, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so you know, Fox Mulder got the chance to uh, go on a few tours. We we I think we did two tours with y'all, um, and then. Yeah. Your last tour was in Europe, right? That was the last tour that yeah. you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, th- like, I think I remember you saying that you had traveled in Europe before uh, touring over there. Is that right? Uh, no, not oh. not not to, not traveling Europe or touring anything really. I had been to the UK. Oh, okay. uh, A couple times at that point. Uh, I have some family and stuff in the UK, so I wasn't completely like brand new to Europe, but like mainland Europe and the UK is like pretty different feeling in general. Right. And how long did y'all spend over there when you toured over there? Um, so I think our tour ended up being something like 16 days, uh, which, which was like, not the longest tour we ever did, but like a decent length of time. And I myself had uh, left, I, I had left Canada early because I actually went to the UK first and visited friends. So I was already, I had already been gone for about 10 days. And then I flew from Manchester to uh, Budapest to meet up with the guys. So, uh, and like, uh, you know, I'm not getting super into details, but I mentioned like the label and stuff like financial hardship. Like I, I, I went through like uh, basically bankruptcy uh, at one point and uh, I, I wasn't even allowed to have a credit card. So I, I, Rohan had to like buy my plane tickets and I had to like write him a check. And I remember like security, like I got a call from like, you know, like the immigration or whatever being like, who is this person with this South Asian name buying you plane tickets like what's your relationship and i was like jesus like you know like he's my he's my friend and you know i don't have a credit card which is not that it's like not that unusual but uh so yeah i I traveled like 10 days first and then i met up with the guy so there was a lot of weird moving pieces and then uh we did the tour and then afterwards uh we we said goodbye in like southeast germany and then i continued traveling for like another half a week or so before i flew home from paris so and that was a really weird, that was a really weird trip. It was, uh, in retrospect, kind of, kind of crazy because there are a lot of situations where my life would have been infinitely easier if I just had a credit card, but I did not. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, they, um, they, like, I, I know there's a lot of, like, emphasis on, on, like, you know, like, well, how are you going to support yourself while you're here and, you know, yeah, make sure like you're that. able to get, get yourself home and uh, everything like that. Um, but yeah, that must've been like, did you know at the time that that was going to be y'all's last tour when you were on that tour? Yeah. I mean, so I think the entire intention was really at that point that we were likely just going to break up. Um, so, you know, we had kind of struggled with, um, keeping particularly drummers, but like, um, after we released, uh, Leith, and uh, our split with Sart, uh, like um, both Matt and our second drummer at the time, Peter, who uh, played with us for you know a year and a half or so, uh, um, they kind of were just doing their own things, uh, and you know it kind of it became a struggle to like keep the momentum going, and then like Ron was kind of getting increasingly interested in, in Respire, and uh, it just kind of like felt like some of the magic had been gone. So our intention really at that point um, was to kind of 
write a, write a record and, and get to tour and at least kind of do that like bucket list thing and then call it a day. Uh, so that was originally kind of the intention was to kind of end it. And then when we ended up having Travis join the band, um, I think we had discovered like a bit of an energy that we had, I guess maybe been missing. And uh, we decided to keep going for a little while longer. So that's why uh, we, I always joke about it. Like we did that screamo band thing where we were like way too active for the first several years. And then as time went on, we played less and less. And then like, you know, we did like a tour and then we started playing like, you know, like five times a year <laughs> until towards the end. So like, honestly, um, I, I was the one who kind of called it like, Hey guys, like maybe we should just kind of give up the ghost on this. Um, because we could have probably gone for like years longer. just like playing once on a blue moon. Um, but, uh, it just, yeah, it, I, I was the only one in the band, not in respire at that point. So it felt a little awkward, right. Where like, they're all getting together every week and writing and, and jamming. And, um, I was struggling to, you know, get them to want to actually put any time or attention towards Fox Mulder. So that was kind of like, you know, I, I'm, I'm over it now, but at the time it was kind of a bit of a, a tough, a tough thing. Cause, um, as we talked about, like, you know, music for me was like a, a really huge, um, growth, uh, and like was really valuable, but at the same time, um, a lot of those struggles early on in the band, uh, and sometimes the attention, like, you know, there are times where I was absolutely in the right to call out some behavior and, and to kind of like really be a little bit like shutting some stuff, some, some shit down. Cause I was also like a little bit older than some of the guys, but like, uh, I was, I was kind of an insufferable person for a while. I, I, was like a very much like fueled by my anxiety. Like, um, I would just get super stressed out and like anxious and it became pretty hard to talk to me sometimes. And that was like a huge thing in general in my life. Like in a lot of ways, like I became a bit of a black hole and, um, it was hard to want to you know, spend time with me. So I, I couldn't blame people in my band and like, you know, if they're not having fun, you know, uh, to me, there was like this pretentious voice being like, this isn't about fun, you know, this is about, you know, uh, catharsis and emo and, and DIY and, you know, just like shouting into the void. Um, but, you know, that was not always the vibe of what everyone else wanted. And uh, that kind of led to the band kind of, yeah, kind of really hitting some rocks a couple different times. And uh, there are definitely a bunch of videos of us towards the end where I kind of say very openly, like, I'm a very different person now than when I was when this band started. And, um, you know, I, I was in the midst of a, a lot of personal growth and changes and struggles. And, um, thankfully I, I'm, I'm on the better side of the majority of it now, but yeah, that was like, a, you know, Rohan is the other original member of the band. Right. And he and I, even like six months ago, had to have like heart to hearts about like some of the ways that some of the things went down and like, you know, uh, that, that shit really sucked. And, you know, and I, I apologize, you know, to my bandmates multiple times over the years. Like, I'm sorry, I'm so hard to deal with. And it's not about, you know, me wanting to be in control. It's about the fact that I, 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 I feel like I lack control in general. And that, that makes me feel like I'm spinning, you know, and that was like really, really tough. Um, so yeah, that was like definitely a big part of the band kind of crawling to a halt. But so yeah, originally Europe was supposed to just be, it and then uh we decided to keep going for a little while and then eventually yeah we stopped i guess i don't know was it three years ago three and a half years ago at this point so yeah so we, uh, by the time that everyone else was leaving was that still 
like, was it still hanging in the air or had you decided at that point, like, no, we'll, we'll try to pick this back up when I get back. Um, like after Europe and stuff, you mean? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, you know, to be totally honest, I don't know if it was, um, entirely decided at that point. I think we concluded, um, like there was definitely like a, we were barely talking in the context of a band after a little while. And, um, I think we played in January because our tour was like, you know, end of August, September. I think we played in January for, uh, to be able to at least say that we did like a local record release show for our, our split 12 inch with Eagles landing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think, to be totally honest, and there's actually like a pretty funny video where I just like first song like eat shit just fall over the drum kit because I like <laughs> lose my balance. And uh, I, I think maybe we actually like I don't know. I think it, like every once in a blue moon, if you catch me in a good mood, I'm, I've been told I'm pretty funny uh, when we play. And I think I just like caught uh, caused everyone on a good day, and it was like a good vibe, and we were having fun. And then uh, I think everyone was just like, you know what? That was actually like really enjoyable. And, like, we don't need to take the band, like, super seriously, but, like, we can still have, like, why don't we keep doing it? Uh, so I think that's why I kept going for a little while, was we just, like, caught each other all on a good day, uh, and we realized that we had grown in that direction. So that was nice. Um, it then the struggles of maintaining any kind of momentum happened afterwards. Like, we just couldn't, you know, I, I we wrote, we wrote, like, two or three songs in, like, you know, two years. Like, it was pretty rough towards the end, I think, in terms of, like, you know, uh, actually keeping motivation going. And, uh, yeah, that was like, I think where then I, I started getting frustrated and like, why am I, why am I putting any energy into it at all? And, but like, I, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm the only one in the band, but I definitely, I still talk to the guys now and then They're like, I'm, I would love to play again. I'm sure one day we will play a show somewhere, somehow, uh, who knows, but, uh, yeah, you know, like it, it, that band was like a, a really big deal for me personally in terms of like getting a lot off my chest and like I, I don't think I'll ever fully say goodbye to it. We we once jokingly said that we were never going to really break up until after we toured Japan. So like maybe there's like you know like uh, on the on the horizon one day like maybe like if anybody's listening to this like if you could like sort that out maybe we'll get back together and do like a Japan tour or something like that'd be kind of cool. And that was my conversation with M. Cuthbert. Thank you so much, M, for taking the time to chat with me. Lately, I've been thinking about uploading the episodes to YouTube. Is that something y'all think I should make happen? Let me know with a message or email. I have some really exciting guests coming up, so I hope you'll stay tuned for that. Until next time, take care and do good things. <laughs>